This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Frustrating moments with some well-known people. I'm Jim Daly, and joining me, of course, as ever, is the lovely as ever, jo- as ever because well, he's contracted like, to be on the podcast. You know, it sounds like you're saying as ever. Oh, as ever. God, I'm here again. God, I, I have to be here. I could do this on my own. Just so, ha- <laughs> just so happens, I'm with the loveliest man in the world, uh, Charles, oh, Charles Paley Phillips. Hey, Jim, how you are right? you doing? I'm good, yeah, sorry. I, I will do a better intro the, next time. I was I shot by the loveliest man in the world. Kind of. Well, you are. There's the superlatives... Better and better every week. They, they get more superb. They do. Hey, very good. Very good. I'm actually running out. Um, how are you? I'm good. Um, yeah, I'm not bad. It's been a strange January. Yeah. Um, January's the worst. I mean, it's the worst month. Yeah. By, by, mu- far, by yeah. far. It's cold. It's been a bit drizzly, isn't it? But but, to, but away from the, the weather, it's been, you know, it's been a, yeah, it's been a, it's been a trying month, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people find January difficult. Mm. I'm sure we'll have a lot of listeners who feel the same way. It's, it is dark and it is cold. Mm. And it's that first month of back after Christmas. And uh, yeah, but we've got to the end of it now. Yeah, and actually a lot, through of, it. a lot of blank moments, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say it's probably the, the month of the most blank moments. Yes. I'd like, I'd, <laughs> I would put out there. No idea if that's true or not. No, but, I'm um, not sure. Either. But we got to the end of January, which yeah. is great. And our present for getting to the end of January is a podcast with the one and only Gary Neville. Yeah, Gary Neville, who 
was an utter delight to spend an hour in his presence. He was he was absolutely fantastic. He you was know, brilliant. Um, known as being quite a formidable character on Sky Sports um, and in his playing career, obviously, but a real a real nice guy, a really nice guy, and and was very candid with us. I know we say that every week that people are candid, but because they are. But yeah, he, it really felt like he was being very honest with us and took us to some places we didn't expect to be taken with him really absolutely yeah he was he was great and um very interesting obviously for two football fans like us it was interesting but there was a lot more than that it wasn't just football. absolutely yeah there was a lot of stuff that personal stuff that he touched on um moments in his life where he's had blank moments or struggled and that was really great that gary felt good enough to open up about that stuff Absolutely. Well, should we crack on with it? We certainly should. Well, this is the brilliant Gary Neville on The Blank Podcast. I think he did. It doesn't matter. Just go for it. Yeah, just go for it. To be fair, it's one thing about Sky. They don't give you the questions... Before any, they don't believe in it. They don't do auto cue. Really? Don't do auto cue. Don't believe in. They, they brief you in terms of the subject areas, yeah. but they don't give you. They don't want you to rehearse yeah. the answers. So it becomes. It Good just becomes natural. like a yeah. It becomes yeah. natural. So it's all spontaneous. It's, and that's to be fair. The one thing I would say, yeah. if you said to me, where is Sky ahead of everybody else in terms of broadcasting on, on sport, live sport? Is it's far less scripted. Yeah. So, so do, do the others do the BT and stuff do that then? Do they brief? I, I worked for ITV in the summer and it was all the, the presenters were oh, all auto really? cue. The good, yeah. no, obviously yeah, still yeah, have to be yeah, talented because yeah. yeah. they still have to react off things and stuff like that. Um, B, I would imagine BT are probably I don't know whether they're auto cue or not, but a lot yeah. more of them are scripted. Match of the day is definitely auto cue. Yeah. Um, it's all sort of pre-prepared. It's packaged up into sections, yeah. but then you just there isn't that. My my view is their, their, their Sky's view is if you're having a really good debate on something, and it, you've got two minute section, yeah, yeah. they'll let it. Sky will let it go for three and a half, four minutes, yeah. and cut something at the back because if something's flying, yeah. let it go. Whereas actually on uh, on other channels, you can see they go into that sort of right. We've got two minutes on yeah, this. Yeah, I, yeah. I think the BBC have to on match of the day because they have to cover all the teams. Yeah. Yeah. They are a little yeah. less. They are a little more restricted. But yeah. still, if you've got something that's dynamite. You should let it, yeah. you know, let it fly. That's, well, and that's worked for you. And, yeah, you, know, it was, you and Jamie have had a few. It has. <laughs> oh, we did. And Justin, so the Tottenham game. Yeah, yeah. You know, After stuff we were going to do, just gets dropped. Yeah, yeah. But no one knows that that was the scripts, other than us. You know, yeah, it's yeah, just us. Yeah, we yeah. have an idea of where we're going, but we have less time to discuss other things. But if something's just completely taken off in an yeah. area, and it, it feels like that, it's two guys in a pub or yeah, yeah. in a club yeah. or wherever it might be. Yeah. Living room having a having a row yeah, about yeah. a football match, which yeah. we all get, like, which yeah. hundreds of people do up and down yeah. the country. Yeah, so you want to replicate that? Yeah. So anyway, no, let's go. Let's okay. just fire away. All right. Well, uh, Gary Neville, welcome to the Blank Podcast. How are you? I'm delighted to be here. Now I found you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been knocked on every door in the street. <laughs> we're delighted you're here. Yeah. No, um, we really appreciate you coming. Busy weekend for you. It was. I was in Cardiff on Friday and then I came down to London Saturday. It wasn't worth me going back and did the Arsenal-Tottenham game. I have to say, the Arsenal-Tottenham game, it's never disappointed in the last four or five years since I've started doing it. Yesterday was one of the best games yeah, I've done in a long time. Yeah. Do you know something? That I've seen this morning the reaction to Klopp's. He's having to apologise for oh, his... Um, for running on a pitch. Cele- yeah. No, don't apologise for no, that. Yeah. In fact, well, we should welcome it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he should be uh, rewarded 
not, <laughs> not punished. And I think the same with the Arsenal players when they reacted to Eric Dyer's celebration. Yeah. I, yesterday, penalties, sendings off, bit of a scuffle in the corner, yeah. celebrations. To me, that is ultimately how the Premier or English football yeah. has made its name. Yeah. And I, I go into some derby games over the last few years and you come up with these cliches of, oh, you know, it's a derby game, it should be a really you know, blood and thunder affair today but you don't really believe it when you're saying it because actually you're talking about a game that used to happen 25 years ago and it was sort of blood and thunder yesterday was genuine it was real the fans were raw again it was no I actually loved yesterday I felt like watching it I watched it on TV so obviously not in the ground but definitely did feel different to to recent North London derbies it just there was there seemed like a lot at stake there was yeah I don't know if Emery had like G'd up his players beforehand and it brought into the, the to the derby atmosphere yeah. but certainly it did feel different to the Wenger kind of days oh, the last two <laughs> years going there has been uh, they're a great club Arsenal yeah. um, you have to respect that whoever you support and last two years going there has been desperate you know demonstrations yeah, yeah, yeah. infighting within the fans they're all not on the same page Arsene to be fair has done a brilliant job um, he was just getting battered and oh it was a mess and yeah. then yesterday must have felt like a new start like you just opened a new book, not not a chapter, a new book, because it was. I mean, I've not seen Arsenal, I've not seen atmosphere in that stadium like that in the six years that I've been commentating there. Never seen it like that. It was a, a different level, and the performance was a different level as well. So it, it was actually a good weekend in some ways because the Cardiff game was better than I thought it would would be, uh, and the to Arsenal Tottenham games one of the best games I've done for a lost long, most enjoyable games for a long time. Best. Quality-wise, with some mistakes, but you know, best in terms of atmosphere and enjoyment. I yeah, mean, Arsenal fan TV must not know what to do with Arsenal winning all the time. I know. <laughs> so yeah. I know. Yeah, they 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 lived off the Arsenal. Wenger. They made their name, yeah. by the way. They needed that Arsenal yeah, Wenger yeah, period. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, they've done well to be fair to them. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we normally on the pub we sort of take it back to sort of school days and growing up. Yeah. You grew up in a sporting family. Yeah. And you were adept at more than one sport, weren't you? Yeah, a cricket and football were our main sport. Play, I don't know why we started playing golf because we didn't. Well, we didn't, we didn't live near a golf course. First twelve, thirty. We were even members of a golf club. We actually, just got into golf as well. We just bought a, a club, so we actually enjoyed a bit of golf. We used to play in this local park, me and my brother. But we're football, just, just hitting balls, just hitting balls. Yeah. yeah, but we were obsessed with football. Yeah, and and obsessed with cricket. I mean, absolutely obsessed. And my mum was obsessed with netball and rounders, which in turn, t- obviously, yeah, yeah, is yeah. a link to my sister. Uh, my mum still plays netball three times a week now, wow. uh, well into her sixties, and she was down watching my sister play. Just won a test series yesterday. They were in oh, London, and they, they, she was down there watching. So it, it immersed in sport. Everything was about sport. So every night it felt like there was something happening. So we would go to my mum's netball games on the Monday night. We'd just tag along. My dad's cricket games at the weekend. Going to Old Trafford. It was all around sport. It was a brilliant. Actually, I think to myself, I, you know, if you're not in a sporting family. What do you do at weekends? What do you, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 I always yeah, think, yeah. you know, what, what? I mean, obviously there are other things to do. There's different shows, there's different hobbies, but I, fa- I feel really lucky that I was brought up in a sporting family. So, did you think from a young age, I'm, I'm going to end up being a, a professional sportsman? Wh- whatever I, I, I was desperate in. to play for United. It was just, it wasn't a sportsman. It was just playing for United. I, I went to United first game, at the age of five, and just never thought of anything else. It was that so specific. It wasn't even about cricket, it wasn't even about golf, even though I enjoyed playing those sports. It was just purely I wanted to wear that red shirt. Sounds a little bit sort of thing, but it was obviously, it was just an obsession. Mm. I loved, absolutely loved the club, loved United, loved the magic of it, loved Brian Robson, um, played football 
every minute you could possibly think of. You know, we used to go to school, we, we didn't have to start school till nine o'clock. We'd get there at quarter to eight, all of us now an hour on the, the schoolyard <laughs> yeah, before yeah. school, and then at break, and then at uh, um, lunchtime. It's all the time. Well, do you know what? That was for me the same thing because we didn't have much of a garden. So actually going to school early was the chance to actually have a yeah. proper game of football. Yeah. You know, put your shirts down or whatever, you know, yeah. jumpers down and have a proper game because we didn't have anywhere to play in like, you know, didn't have a playground or like, at, you know, behind the, the Then you're just constantly going through new, new school shoes and new school trousers. Constantly, <laughs> constantly ripped apart. Yeah. yeah, scuffing them all the time. Um, but you're always, I, I had to take some heart now but my two girls both obsessed with netball. Yeah. They're eight and ten and they play netball in their lunch breaks and that gives me that gives me a, a good feeling that you know the idea of all the things if you can get your kids into sport it's a yeah. positive thing yeah just there's no there's no negative actually no, no. your well-being camaraderie social yeah. experience yeah. you know mental health everything it, you know sport helps with understanding competition understanding winning and losing understanding peaks and troughs disappointments all those things it gives yeah. sport gives you a lot i totally agree um and it I don't think you can lose from playing sport and you lose matches, but you, yeah. you can't lose over a long period mm. of time in terms of actually the impact it can have on you. I think it's a good thing. So we should put more faith in sport yeah. in terms of dealing with a lot of the social issues that we have. I genuinely believe that because I think you can give people a uh, a reason to sort of, um, you know, so that, something to look forward to. Yeah. Sport can be something to look forward to. That That's the one big thing about the Premier League, the cost of the tickets yeah. has taken away the... Yeah. Definitely. means that you can't you know, kids that just that dream of going to the game of going to the match a lot of them can't have that anymore that's a massive problem that yeah. accessibility to, to grounds is a problem just for, just for most people yeah. most families my first I went to my first Palace game was 1991 1st of January I think the ticket was fiver yeah I, maybe, my first Palace game maybe was not even fiver. And we're standing up in Hamestown, and it was sorry. I should say we're both oh, yeah. Yeah. Palace fans, and um, yeah, and it was like five quid, and and the train ticket wasn't that much. I was like Patena, and and the atmosphere was incredible. And those early memories of you know stuck. That's why you keep going back. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the money that's come in, the, the, I think we have missed a trick, a massive trick, because the money that's come in, the five billion domestic TV rights, five billion overseas rights, ten billion into football over a three-year period. I mean, they have started to now reduce the price of the away tickets for fans. Yeah. But I always think if just twenty percent of every ground was a was a was a cheap ticket, an affordable ticket, yeah, yeah. just twenty percent, even twenty five percent, something that mean meant that you could access, you know, kids could have that feeling of going to a football match. It just I don't I don't get why we haven't sort of done that. It it, it baffles me a little bit mm. because. The Premier League, I get it, it's, the, it's a business, yeah. but the big problem was obviously the breakaway in 92, soon after you started watching, and where they didn't tie down, these, the FA didn't tie down these types of things, really, yeah. if, they, if, they, if they could have done. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. But 92 was a big year for you, because that's the it year you made your debut for United. I was just thinking, when you mentioned Brian McClare there. Brian Robson. Brian, Brian Robson, Robson, sorry, Brian Robson. Brian well, McClare, also yeah. a great player as well. Yeah. Who, who was your idol then? Was Robson your idol? It was Brian Robson. I, he, I was there the day he signed. And um, I just thought he epitomised everything what a football player should be. Forget scout, uh, talent and skill. I, w- I never looked at Maradona and thought that was achievable. I looked at Brian Robson and just thought every tackle, every pass, every second of every game felt like it meant something to him. And I always thought with United when I was growing up, Robson, Hughes, Whiteside, they, are, they were the most talented players, don't get me wrong, but also they were the ones that showed the most passion for the shirt. There were other players, great players who showed a lot of passion as well. 
but they were the ones that for me felt like it meant something to him every mm. single second um, and so the, he was the one that I hung off as a sort of a, an idol so did you want to be a centre mid then? Was I, I was a centre mid when yeah. I joined the club at 11-12 but then the problem I had was that Beckham and Scholes and Buck <laughs> yeah. joined and I realised pretty quickly I wasn't a centre mid <laughs> I was a right back uh, no I was a defender so I, I just yeah. knew that wasn't good enough yeah. I just wasn't you know, they, they were just at a different level yeah. um, than I was so yeah I was a centre mid believe so did you make that choice to go right back then, or did the coach say no they moved me right back back. they moved me back as a centre back initially and then Jim Ryan my reserve team coach moved me back to, to right back he saw an opening coming in the first team because Paul Parker started to pick up some injuries. Yeah. So yeah, I was moved back. No one, no one moved. No one, no one moves himself back. I mean, you don't, you don't move from centre forward to right back no, or centre midfield yeah. to right no, back. No one chooses right back. No. no. But did that feel like home when you got into that position? Though? Did it feel, or was it? Did it take time to adjust? It took time to adjust, and I have to say that because I've been used to playing midfield, it helped me in terms of right back on the ball is a lot easier than midfield. It just is, because you've got everything in front of you, you've yeah. got the full picture. Whereas in midfield, you're receiving the ball sometimes with your back to play. You don't know what's behind you, you have mm-hmm. to have awareness. And that's where someone like a Scholes, who's got that sort of constant pivoting head, yeah. you know, rotating over his shoulder, looking where he is and assessing what's going to happen, they're the best players. That's why they're the, you know, the best midfield players, the best number 10 centre-forwards. They're the most difficult positions because they're receiving the ball with a back to play a lot. Yeah. And you don't know what's behind you, you have to have that awareness. Whereas as a defender, you've got everything in front of you. Very rarely people come from behind, so you actually have got the picture of the pitch. It was easy for me just to feed into midfield, to right wing, to centre forward, because I'd had that midfield experience, so it actually felt more comfortable for me. It is easier on the ball. Yeah, if they're coming from behind, then you've, oh, made, a, you've made an error you, somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. Gone wrong. Or I'm too far forward, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to get back. <laughs> yeah, defence is easier. That's why they get, that's why they get paid less. <laughs> that's why they cost less. <laughs> Usually a bit more intelligent, though, defenders, yeah. I think. Not anymore, though. I mean, you know, Van Dyke, people are yeah. paying big money for defenders. Oh, they like are, City yeah. are paying big money. I couldn't... I mean, when Kyle Walker moved for £50 million two seasons ago, that stunned me, that. Not because I don't think Kyle Walker's a good player. I think mm. he's fantastic, right? But I just thought, wow, where's this going? Yeah, that was a, yeah, that yeah. Was a where's yeah, this going moment. That was like yeah, a yeah. doom. When you just feel like the market shifted. Yeah. That yeah. was a big moment. That. that was like, oh, my gosh. And then the Van Dyke, £75 million. Yeah. At the time, I thought, what a risk that is. Yeah. And now it looks like a great buy. Yeah. But £75 million for a centre-back. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It is madness. Yeah. It is madness. I mean, a right-back, I always got the feeling with a right-back, you should be able to produce one in your youth team that can do the job at any club. Yeah. Mm. Why would you need to spend £50 million on a right-back? In fact, City spent £130 million on full-backs yeah. that year. They spent money on Mendy, Walker, what's they called? Danilo. Danilo. Yeah. £130 million quid. Crazy on jobbing right backs like me, especially <laughs> <laughs> when you think that your class of '92 was built on mostly youth team players. Mm, it was that's crazy. And you think now, sort of, the saving of what it, you know, if you think about those six players, I mean, what would Skulls, yeah. Beckham, yeah. Giggs be worth in this market, you know? And to, Particularly, there is more value when they actually come from the local area because they're not going to leave. Yeah. They're going to yeah, stay exactly. at the club. Yeah, yeah. So if you can produce your own, they're they're wedded to the culture of the club and the actual heart. They've got the sort of club at heart. So actually, they're less likely to leave. Hmm. Particularly if you're at a big club like United. So it's a case of you know, every like Rashford now, if he can produce, saves the club potentially 100 million. Yeah. You're buying a striker, 
it's, it's absolutely worth investing in him and you know investing time in him and development in him because it save you a lot of money. Well, we feel we've done that. We're, we're obviously both Palace fans, and we've got Wamba Saka who's come through at right back. Yeah. Who's been um, saved us twenty million pound on the right back? Obviously, oh, we've got Will, Will Saha up front. Obviously, yeah. who's we bought back from United for six million or seven million or something. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's now, really. You think about that could be a hundred and twenty million pound worth of talent I, that we've produced. I, I don't, I don't get. Actually, I do get why clubs don't pay more attention to youth because they want immediate results and they're yeah. scared to death yeah. of relegation. Yeah. So they actually are scared and actually worried that much about what's happening today that tomorrow is being forgotten yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely and that's the problem with the 100 million pounds the bottom of the league 120 million for the mid table that it's become so it's, it's desperation mm-hmm. it's in Southampton this morning the way I've sat yeah yeah, yeah we've read that yeah. Mark Hughes I, I, I mean I, I, I don't I don't even blink anymore when I feel the manager's being sacked yeah you know, I've been there yeah. myself it's almost like yeah it's another one and, I, and Sparky yeah. obviously I used to idolise him but I actually read on social media and the first response was, oh, let me get it out so I get this right. It did make me laugh. <laughs> social media is a brutal place. Yeah, it really is. The first the first reply was, De- right decision. The board had no choice when they couldn't beat Man United. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God. That just sums up Twitter, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Like, no choice. You <laughs> <laughs> had to go. You had to go. <laughs> I thought, oh, in a moment of even sort of desperation and sort of think, yeah. feeling of, you know, sadness for a you know, fellow ex-professional yeah, who's been yeah. sacked, you have to smile at football sometimes when it throws up things like that. Like, oh. yeah. It has changed though, isn't it? There is no culture these days of managers staying in clubs for a long time. It just, just doesn't happen anymore. I mean, Watford have almost made a career out of, you know, yeah. short-termism. Yeah. Why would you, if you're a manager now, pay attention to what the under 15, 16, 17 are doing? When actually, if you don't get a result in the next two, three months, you exactly. know, you know, exactly. you, you, there's no point. Yeah. There's absolutely no point, and that's sad. So yesterday, Mauricio Pochettino played the boy Foyt, the young lad at centre half. Mm. He had a tough day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he got criticised for it post match. But he's the one manager who's got some control. He's in a great position at the club, and Alderweireld's been running his contract down for the last yeah. twelve months. Yeah. And he's been dealt with accordingly. Yeah. You'd love to think in any business, any walk of life, if someone was playing you, playing you off, looking to exit, looking to leave, not facing the same direction as the rest of your team, that they would be dealt with in that way and you bring someone in who wants to be with the club. That's how every fan would want it to be. But managers now have got so desperate that they're actually even having to play players who are not looking to even stay at the club in the future yeah. because they want to look after today. Yeah. And it's, it's skewed. There's no doubt football is skewed. There's yeah. no, I've got no doubts about that at all. The morals, not morals, probably too strong a word, but the actual ideals of the, the owner, the fan, the player are all over the place because yeah. everyone's just thinking purely about today. There's no long-term thinking. There might be at some clubs, probably a bit unfair, but generally clubs are so desperate for the immediate result that their, their, their decision-making is... Based on the immediacy, and it doesn't work like that. You know, you don't. You, you've got to plan a. You've just got to stay with your train of thought. You know, if you believe in the manager, he was the right manager. I always think the chairman appoints a sporting director, appoints the manager. The manager fails. Is that not a reflection on the chairman and yeah, the sporting yeah, director? Yeah. Well, you think so, in any other really? walk of life, it would be. Yeah, exactly. Well, oh, if they can't pick the right manager, you don't need to change them. Yeah, and that's yeah. why. I, I, Football doesn't work like that. They just think, no, no, manager's fault. Out he goes. Now yeah. put another one in. Out he goes. Then we will put another one in. It's, Unbelievable. But the, lo- the, the last real sort of great reign of a club sticking with the manager really is, is Sir Alex Ferguson. 
And if we can go back to when you joined, you said on yeah. one other podcast and elsewhere that being a young player at that time going into the first team was a tough environment. Yeah. You know, they were hard old old pros. Yeah. That must have well, been... Well, and your idols as well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like Bobby, um, Brian Robson, not Bobby yeah. Robson, Brian Robson, Mark yeah. Hughes, people that you yeah. looked up to who you were fans Brian, of. Brian McClare, obviously. We've got, we got, yeah. got yeah. Brian McClare <laughs> shout Do you know what? When we ever did... <laughs> Underrated. If you ever did a shot and it went over the bar, you'd always, when we were playing, always a Brian McClare bubble. <laughs> it was really? like, yeah, he was like, oh, it's Brian McClare bubble. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know if he used to shoot off target quite a lot. I don't know. But it was maybe a really unfair thing to say about Brian McClare, but we used to call it a Brian McClare bubble to get over the bar. I think he quite yeah. liked that knowing Brian. I think he, the idea that he had a sort of he had a shot named after him. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Not a good one. No. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, but yeah, maybe quite. Yeah, a tough environment, but also those people that you were, you you were your idols. Yeah, was that, was that a difficult to take? Tough, yeah, challenging environment, but it should be. Yeah, you know, young people should be challenged when they're coming through their sort of formative years, either in education. They should be. When I say stressed, I don't mean stressed as in stressed. I mean they should be stress tested. They have to, be, you know, from the age of sixteen through to twenty-one, you're preparing for the rest of your life, and the rest of your life's going to have ups and downs, going to have difficulties, going to have relationship issues, going to have. Um, work problems, you're going to have disappointments, you're not going to, things aren't going to go your way. You have to be tested in that from the age of 16 to 21. You have to be put through that. So we were challenged all the time. There were demands placed upon us that, you know, they used to say, you know, a man, to be a Manchester United player, you have to be this level. And then every day you were measured by that. And even, let's say, for instance, Unai Emery yesterday looking at the Arsenal performance, those players now have set a standard. Yeah. Why should he let them drop below that? Yeah. And that was Sir Alex Ferguson's mantra, and that was Eric Harrison's Nobby Styles. Set a standard of big thing was work ethic. They very rarely talked about play well, you know, play well. They talked about work hard, have a work ethic, don't give in, work as hard as you possibly can every single day. And they believed that was a choice. Yeah. I think that one of the things now that I think that I would say most is that sometimes um, it is a choice every single day. You wake up, you decide you're either you're going to get up to start with, what you're going to do in that day in terms of whether you're going to work as hard as you possibly can or not. And that was put into us from the age of 16. You win a game, you win a trophy. Do you feel like you've climbed the mountain or are you going to wake up the day after you've won a trophy and choose to try as hard as you possibly can again, like the day you did before, the day you did before that? And that's why Sir Alex Ferguson, I think he instilled that over 25 years into a club that you had a choice every single day. You can either work as hard as you possibly can or you can basically just step off the gas. Mm. That's your choice. If you step off the gas, you'll be out of the club. Yeah. Work as hard as you possibly can. Reach standards of work ethic that you've always mm. done. That'll give you a chance to achieve with us because we know you've got the talent and then you, everything else will fall into place. And I always carried that through with me everywhere I go and I always think it can simplify life into one thing. Did I try my very best and did, did, I, did, I, uh, did I always make sure that I went to the end and didn't give in? And if that's the case, they're the only two things really. Work as hard as you possibly can, don't give in. I actually ever think are important in life in terms of sort of achievement or doing things. The achievement is working as hard as you can yeah. and doing the very best you can. So it was that that really, he simplified it so much. Be proud to know that you, you, you work as hard as you possibly can. Be proud to know that your teammates work as hard as you possibly can. Look after one another. Very simple messages all the time in every single team talk for 25 years. And it could sometimes get, we talk about complexities of life now and actually can simplify it a little bit as well if you wanted to mm. I know there are there are different stresses but I think one of the things is that young we were we were challenged as young 
young people, we were challenged all the time. And it was tough at times, yeah. but it, 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 it meant that we had the resilience to be able to cope when those difficult moments came, when challenges came, when losses came, when yeah. actually success is as big a challenge as defeat in life for some people. So simple form, give a, a lottery winner a load of money, how many stories do you hear yeah. of them all of a sudden <laughs> yeah, yeah. having desperate problems within yeah. a few years? Because success or wealth brings as much of an issue as, you know, it, it brings issues as well. So I thought that was it. It was a brilliant, brilliant, you know, never feel like you've made it. Do you ever have any moments where thing, things felt a bit too tough or maybe someone hammered you a bit too much and you thought, this is, this is tough? I had one um, massive dip. Um, I had a breakup in a relationship after seven years and um, I gave the goal away, two goals away in, Basque, uh, in Brazil in the World Club Championships and we got knocked out. And it was just before the European Championships in 2000 under Kevin Keegan. And I had a six-month dip People probably won't remember it. I, I just went under. I was going into the pit. I was going onto the pitch distracted, thinking of other things. Didn't want the ball. Lacked confidence. My belief went. Didn't know where my next good game was going to come from. I didn't know where my next good pass was going to come from. I just really lost everything in a six-month period. And I needed the summer break after the Euros. Um, and I remember just having that four-week block of doing nothing and just clearing my head and just completely, so if you like, just resetting. Mm. And then saying, right, I'm going to work harder than I've ever worked in my life. And that was it. I'd reset. And um, first day of pre-season, I started doing triple sessions. I started having extra massages, extra stretching, extra weights. And did everything hard. I worked harder than I'd ever done. First game of the season, got through it without making a mistake. Because that's where you start from. When, you, when, you're in, when you're in a low point in football, you, you, you don't go from being in a low point in football in, in confidence terms, then just go all of a sudden to be back at your best. Yeah. It's a gradual progression. And I remember just building up confidence through the work that I'd done. I used to get confidence through the work I did. Yeah. So if my work wasn't good, if my preparation wasn't good, I, I actually used to ask myself the question later on in my career, probably from 25, 26 onwards, beyond this six-month period, have I done everything I possibly can leading into this game? Mm for me to play well. If I had, I was comfortable because I knew that I couldn't do any more. And that was the, sort of the ethos of, have I worked as hard as I possibly can? Have I prepared the best I can? And I did simplify it in that, those terms. I saw a psychologist at that time mm. for that six-month period. He simplified things for me as well. So just slow everything down in your mind. Just think about simple things. You've practised thousands of hours to get to this point. You know, why would you... So, for instance, my dealing of the press, the criticism changed completely after that. So were, you get, were you getting criticism? Yeah, I was getting. My brother, me and my brother were getting battered. If you remember, for six months, it was where the song came from. If the Neville's can play for England, so can I. <laughs> <laughs> Fulham away started that little group of blokes on the right hand stand in that old decrepit wooden yeah. stand that's still there, that's yeah. listed, I think. If the Neville's can play, and Scholes started laughing at us. I'm thinking, can you hear what I could hear here? And. I just we got battered. My brother had effigies, if you remember, outside his gates, and because he, he, he'd given after it? the Euros, yeah, he'd given the penalty yeah. away, yeah. and we all got thrown. Me and my brother both got thrown in together, always, yeah, yeah. and we got we got battered at the time, and it affected us. And it affected him as well. It affected him as yeah. well, and actually, at the time after that, it was actually the psychologist who helped me, mm. and they said, "Imagine if you wake up in the morning, really happy. You're going to work hard today. You, you've told me about you know the idea." 
and then you've read something in a newspaper or someone shouts something over to you from the other side of the street and all of a sudden you take that positivity and make it negative. How daft's that? You've practised thousands of hours. Yeah. You've given all your life to football and you're going to let something that's written down in a piece of a paper or something that somebody shouts over... And it simplified it for me. How can I be happy walking down the street? Someone shouts, oh, Neville, you're rubbish. You, 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 you. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm in a bad mood and, it's, and I, my confidence is gone. So I actually was able to uh, compartmentalise statements that came towards me that were negative. And ever since then, it bounces off me. Sometimes I react, yeah. but even then I can just push it away. I can, I can deal with it. And that's the thick skin. That's yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, the idea of thick skin is the ability to be able to resist criticism, to actually even resist praise. Because sometimes people say, oh, you know, the, the, believe it or not, the taxi driver just came in. Oh, you're the best right back that ever played for England. In my lifetime, he said, he, he, he caveated it. Um, and I thought... How old was he? He's about, 30, he's about 35, so he's only ever seen two. So, but then you just eat yourself, right? Oh, thanks very much. But actually, to be able to then say, actually, that, that shouldn't make me feel any better yeah. or any worse. It yeah. shouldn't do. I've still got to come and do this interview with yourself and it shouldn't really make me feel big-headed just because I've walked in and had that statement yeah, done to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, if he'd said to me, look, I hate you, you're the worst right-back I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I've still got to come in. So I, yeah. the ability to be able to sort of discard criticism, praise, and yeah. what would be irrelevant messages, noise. Yeah, yeah. So Alex Ferguson used to call it noise. I used to call it circus, actually. You say, remember when you were out on that pitch today at Anfield or at Chelsea or even at Crystal Palace? Remember... The circus, we, used to, we were the circus. He used to refer to us yeah. as the circus. The circus is in town. Because yeah. everyone did want to play against Man United. Everyone yeah. did want to get at Beckham or Rooney or yeah. Ronaldo. Yeah. They always wanted to have a dig and it was yeah. it was well, a big the, game. The big teams always do because yeah. you've got the great, you've got the yeah. best players. And it's, a it's a huge yeah. compliment. Yeah. 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 Remember, the circus is in town. Yeah. They'll be after you. Focus. What we're doing. And, and that was the sort of one of his messages. Ignore the noise. Yeah. Remove it. But that noise hasn't disappeared, has it? Because now it's on social media. And if anything, it's coming at you even harder and, and, yeah. and it, more often. If I was a player, the thing is about a football player now, this idea, oh, if you don't like criticism, you should be on social media. To ignore social media actually is completely the wrong message to a football player. Because actually, it's not social media. It is the media. Yeah. yeah. It yeah, is yeah. the media. Yeah. Well, this is it. Yeah. This is not, you know, this is actually going to, tra- this is not, this is not here for 10 minutes. It's not a fad. Mm. Twitter Facebook, Instagram, social media are not fads anymore. Mm. That is it for the future. Um, newspapers are now all digital, or majority digital. Mm. Everything's quicker. News is quicker. Um, players, ha- I think what they need to be able to do is use it, accept it, and also be able to deal with some of the messages that come towards them. So criticism from fans is part of being a football player. Yeah. Yeah. You have to accept it. Not accept it. You have to deal with it. You yeah. have to be able to cope with it. That's the right term, yeah. actually. It's be able to cope with it. Just as you can cope with the, you know, if someone's saying you, you were brilliant today, well done. The week after, someone says you're not very well. You know, you can't just you can't just say well you can't you can have one bit without the other. So I think saying to players, what worries me most about players actually is that the fact that their accounts aren't even run by themselves. Yeah. 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 So they're not independent exactly. thinkers. Yeah. They yeah. can't even think for themselves. So they're protected. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, it's even worse when other people tell you. you you're better off learning to deal with it and learning to cope with it mm. than actually just ignoring it and actually it coming back and biting you eventually when you do have to. Because when you finish playing football and you go into the media or into business, you will have to then still see these yeah. these messages or whatever it would mm. be. So I, I think that the moment social media is... I mean, p- punditry commentators get battered. Yeah. 
Yeah, get battered. We yeah. get battered. By everyone. The, the amount of Tottenham, so the amount of Arsenal fans yesterday were coming on at me about the fact that they, I thought it was a penalty on Son. Yeah. Uh, they thought it was a dive. They were like, viciously attacking me, which to be fair, I find quite funny. I wasn't going to change my mind. Yeah. But actually, if you're a commentator coming in, it can be tough. Yeah. For people who don't know how to cope with that level yeah. of, uh, but also like we've said this on the podcast before, the society we live in now and football was a big reflection of that. It's become binary. It's become you're right, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. My my club's great, your club's terrible. Yeah, There's no grey areas anymore. People, no. fans just don't want to see that. They want to be right or wrong. And everyone's got to comment on everything. Yeah, everything. And and to be fair, that's fine, no problem because that's that's the one of the benefits of social media actually. But just so, how do you choose? what to influence you and what not to influence you as a young person is a massive challenge of this. Yeah. yeah. Everything that you read, everything that you see, influ- you know, it, it can either go inside and, and, and be taken in or it can be sort of, dis- our young people, can they cope with discarding the stuff that's not helpful, yeah. taking on board stuff that might be informative and can help them and the stuff in the middle, just if you like, forgetting about it. Are they mm. capable of being able to... And I think that... I always get the feeling that... I used to think in football when it was difficult, it was like I used to refer to it as spinning on a roundabout really quick and you don't know what you're actually looking at. Yeah. I actually think social media is like that. It's like yeah. a spinning roundabout that's really quick. Yeah. You've got to be able to... You know, your brain's got to be able to take in the information and throw away the stuff that's not yeah. helpful, take on board the stuff that you think, actually, that makes me reflect differently. Yeah, yeah, it makes yeah. me see something I hadn't thought of. But... I, for young people, that's one of the greatest challenges, I think. The influence that, that they're having. Your influence used to be your coaches, your parents, your teachers. Yeah. Your influence now on here is yeah. it's vast. Yeah. And actually, they may have more influence on you than your parents, your teachers, your coaches. You've got your best interests at heart nine times yeah. out of ten. Yeah. So that's the biggest challenge, I think, for young people is that when do they, so when do they expose themselves to social media? Not just football players. Just anyone. Yeah, anyone. An 18-year-old football player that's basically just played a game of football, he could have 400 messages, 4 million messages on his phone when he picks it up from social media thinking, you played well, you didn't play well. Which one does he listen to? Yeah. Can he Can he actually accept that yeah, it's just noise? Yeah. So I, I, there's, I mean... Or is it is it a case of being able to filter out messages from people that matter? Yes. But also, can you accept messages from people that matter that you don't like? <laughs> no, because yeah, let's yeah. say... I mean, it sounds crazy. You know, take a pundit uh, Alan Shearer great one well the Premier League's greatest ever striker yeah. if he criticises a forward he's informed he's been there he's yeah. done it can you handle that yeah. and take it as a positive or actually does it kill your confidence mm. so again this it's a lot to a lot to consider for young football players in that sense and I don't buy into this oh they're earning so much money they should be able to cope with it that is Biggest load of bull of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're a 15-year-old, 16-year-old kid yeah. that's on 80 quid a week, 70 quid a week, which is what they're on. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you become really good at football yeah. and you go on to, I don't know, a million pounds a year. Yeah. Your mind hasn't changed. Your maturity hasn't changed just because of the bank account. Yeah. And that's the big problem, that there is an expectation that once you're earning this money, actually, you can, you're able to cope with anything, and that's just not the case. Do you think clubs are not doing enough in that regard? Um, there are a lot smart football players yeah. now. I think that... that, that the horror stories of the last 20 years of players, the divorce rates with football players, sort of mental health issues with football players, um, retiring, not being able to cope post 
uh, retirement. I think there's that much evidence now. Yeah. This idea that this huge adrenaline rush has now got no replacement. Mm. You are going to have to. You are going to have to yeah, accept yeah, yeah. and change. There are. There is now a situation whereby there is an understanding that players have to plan post-career during their career. It used to be you get to the end of your career. I used to describe it as falling off the edge of a cliff, almost mm. in in mm. terms of the difference in sort of level. You need that. You are going to fall off the edge of a cliff in adrenaline terms, but you need that safety net. You need that. What what you're going to do? Can, can, how do you? It helped me. My injury at 32 helped me. Because it actually it prepared me that I knew that was coming to the end for three years. I was I was I'd already done my coaching badges. Mm. I got involved in some businesses and some projects. I knew that I had to think about the end anyway. But players now generally are thinking about the end at the age of 24, 25, rather than 33, wow. 34. They're thinking a lot earlier about yeah. you know where they're going to place the money, how they're going to look after it, doing their coaching badges, doing even degrees and sort of um, doing university online courses a lot, a lot of football players now are planning a lot early understanding that so many football players before the people that they knew have yeah. struggled badly yeah so are players better looked after they are better look, they're, they're more aware yeah a lot more aware you know if you said mental health yeah or depression yeah. in a dressing room 20 years ago you'd been laughed at it'd been get on with it so were you, when you were seeing a psychologist in, in 2000, that, that, would that have been quite rare for a footballer then? To be I wouldn't have. I didn't tell anybody about that until three years ago. Okay. Really? No, I wouldn't have. At the time, come out to them seeing psychologists would have been seen as a weakness. Mm. Really? It would have been seen as a weakness. It would have been seen as a weakness. It would have been, in fact, it would have been seen as a weakness in life, not just football, I think, 20 years ago, actually. But even a brave decision just to do it in the first place. I, mm. I, I went to see the doctor and I just said, look, you know, you don't want to go. The problem is, take football or even say, well, any job. Yeah. The idea of going speaking to your boss and saying, "Boss, I'm feeling really down. My confidence is low." Yeah. Well, he's picking the team, so you don't feel comfortable. Nah, Same yeah, with the coach. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't feel comfortable doing it to your teammates because you don't want to burden them with it partly, yeah, yeah. and you don't actually want to bring your problems upon them. Yeah. You know, the idea of having a break up in a relationship or problem at home or something like that, you don't want to bring that into the workplace. It's not not what you do. Mm. So then you think to yourself, "Well, who do I go and see?" Yeah. And the person who always is trusted at a football club most is the doctor. Mm. The doctor is the person that sort of you trust most. You're one of those sort of individuals in life that you trust. Yeah. And so you go and see the doctor, you say, look, I'm struggling. Yeah. And he said, look, why don't you see somebody? And at the time I said, okay, I will do. And I actually never saw it as a psychologist. I actually saw it as someone who I could just actually confide in and just yeah. actually speak to. Mm. And actually, who could actually feed back to me some sense, make some sense of what I was thinking in these thoughts. And actually, what it enabled me to do is compartmentalise thought and information that was coming to me. That was the big thing out of those seven or eight sessions that I had. I picked it up quite quickly. Yeah. And he said, I've got no magic wand here. All I'm going to do, he used to talk to me about the positive parrot and the negative parrot. And he used to say, you've got this parrot on one shoulder saying, you know, I'm... I'm you know, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna play badly. And you got this one on this shoulder saying, "I'm good." And, and which one's gonna win all the time? Mm. And that enabled me again to be able to compartmentalise positive and negative thoughts, and actually feel natural about having them. Yeah. You can have some negative thoughts. You can have doubts. When they come, expect them, but just make sure that you reassure yourself. Yeah. And actually, just able enabled me to actually just really make sense of what would be signs, thoughts that came to me, and. I didn't speak about that open. I would never. I could never sit here and say that I went through sort of what would be large mental health problems or real difficulties because I had a, a career that was incredible. But that six-month period, I, I did go under for a period, yeah. and didn't know where my next good game, next good day was going to come from. Felt like I didn't want to be picked, 
and he kept picking me because he trusted me and he kept picking, yeah. putting me in the team yeah. and you almost sometimes don't want to go up to him and say I'm struggling yeah yeah, yeah. it's got his own weight as yeah. well and it's like being, you know, we you and you don't want to jeopardise your place in the team and well, the way yeah, he sees it because no. you might be like yeah like say you were dropped but, out of the team you might not no. It hit home to me a few years ago, actually, when I was with England, and one of the young lads, and I'll never speak about who it is, yeah. you know, 18, 19 years of age, came up to me, and the criticism was really getting to me, couldn't handle it. And I just looked at him and thought, the vulnerability, this is a kid, it's a kid, don't care, this is one of the most, you know, obviously playing for England, one of the most famous players in the country, but he's a kid, he's a baby. He's just not mature enough to be able to deal with this. He's, he can't cope, and that's the thing that uh, you know you worry most about is where is the support for the football player who's eighteen who's struggling will get support because there is that sort of network around them. But then I take that into other walks of life, and I think where is the support network? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a little bit of experience. We had a hotel. We had a project in Manchester Stock Exchange, which. Um, um, we actually, it, it, basically, homeless people were in there, and we let them, me and Ryan allowed them to stay in there for six months. And I remember at the time dealing with Manchester City Council, the support services, and the lack of resource in that area that's provided. Yeah. There is not enough resource, and the cuts and the it's devastating. The where is the support network for young people that are struggling? For people that are struggling, yeah. uh, that is a worry. And I think of it in football, people don't like to talk about it anyway. The warning signs aren't always there because yeah. they're, they're hidden a lot. So I think in football, it's it is so it's there and it's actually it's deep in football, but it's deep in society as well. Yeah. Who do you talk to? Who do you trust? Who can help you come out of something? Yeah. You don't always want to go and share it with your parents when you're 19, 20. You, feel, you don't always want to. I certainly wouldn't want to go to my... You know, my dad was always supportive. If I'd have gone to my dad and said, look, dad, I'm, look, he'd say, you're great, son. Get on with it. Go on. You're, fan- <laughs> yeah, anyway, you're fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You're playing for United. What's up with you? you know? yeah, yeah. And there'd be a bit of that in it. Yeah, you know, yeah, not that he would, yeah. uh, that would be his way of dealing with it because yeah. 30 years before that, just lack of understanding, that's the way yeah. they dealt with it. Yeah. His parents had grown up through sort of World War II, so the idea of it being tough now yeah, exactly. yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't exactly. wash tough now. You know, you're born. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> and there yeah. is that. We do look back at sort of like, you know, you know, kids of today, you know, it's a bit like that, isn't it? And so, yeah. anyway, I don't know where that came from. I don't even know what the question was, to be honest with you. But no, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. And I think as well, people forget that footballers, especially at the very top, are people. They are just that, people dealing yeah. with people problems, despite the fact they're getting paid millions. And the pressure, yeah. in a way, well, it's it, on massive. That, it's I massive. Mean, you know, like you said before, being wealthy, there's still pressures there. You know, you're playing in the biggest league in the world, to huge audience yeah. people, hostile crowds sometimes, you know, so yeah. massive pressures on the yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, that's why the stuff of yesterday, the reaction, the passionate reaction, the instinctive reaction to a goal, to a sending off, to a bad tackle. The people. This idea yeah. that, oh, he's, um, this idea that you sort of put halos above your head on the football pitch and you think that you're playing in that game and every time that a bad tackle comes in on one of your teammates or a goal happens, that you've got to think about how you carry yourself because you're setting an example to the yeah. youngsters of today is yeah. ridiculous to me. Mm. You, you're setting standards you can't... You, you, well, the human beings, football yeah. players are human beings. They will react as everyone in society will react. Some will be able to laugh it off. Some will be able to count to ten. Some will react instantly. Some will react 
uh, aggressively. And I always say, if someone hits someone on a football pitch, it's a bad thing. But there's a punishment in place. They'll get banned for six matches, yeah, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Let's not play it up more than it is. Jurgen Klopp running on the pitch yesterday at the last minute, feeling like he was being disrespectful to his opponent. The opponent. It's ridiculous. Yeah. If he can't run on the pitch in the 96th minute of a derby having won, mm. I did that for 20 years. <laughs> I remember you Honestly, winding, winding up Liverpool fans. And just something, yeah. I, did, I didn't before the game, because we could have conceded a goal in the last minute and I would have yeah. been on the floor. Yeah. So it could have happened the other way as well. Exactly, yeah. So why would, it, you know, the idea that you can sort of manage emotion when it's so instinctive football and sometimes things do surprise you. It, it, we are, they are, football players are human beings, they are people, they have the same thoughts as others do in in circumstances that are either difficult or you know. And did did you enjoy that side of it? Because I remember you sort of winding up yeah. Liverpool fans yeah. during games and stuff. Did you, you like that side of it? Yeah, because I actually also thought that it was all's fair in love and war. So when they were singing about my mum for ninety minutes, yeah. not the most pleasant song in the world. I also thought that was to me all's fair. Yeah. You're out on that football pitch. Might not be a particularly pleasant song, but actually I'd given them a dig. They were giving me a dig. Yeah. I could give some back. They could give me some back. And that, to me, is a bit of the football rivalry thing. Now, yeah, yeah. today it would be seen as unpleasant yeah. and it would be seen as being so. Sort of, I mean, we're getting to a point now. The big thing now is that, you know, the idea of if you, a player swears or they pick up a bit of swearing on camera, it's now basically a mass, becoming a massive problem in broadcasting. Yeah. Where yeah, yeah. we apologise if you've heard any bad language. At every football match, there's always been bad language. I generally do believe in 20, 30 years, you will not be able to swear in a football stadium. Mm. I was going to say, you come on the terraces, there's plenty of bad language Exactly. There, you know? yeah. you know, so, it's true. So why should we, you know, why would it not be on the pitch? Exactly. So it's, it's a case yeah. of yeah, swearing at a referee is wrong, yeah. but swearing yeah. on a pitch, yeah. you're going to get that. Yeah. So we are, we are veering towards mm. sort of sanitising the game a little bit. That's why yesterday, for me, I was invigorated by a football match because everything, football match to me should be about emotion and passion. And actually, what's happening on the terraces should be mirrored on the pitch. Yeah. That's the big thing. It's about connection between fan and player. Yeah. If those Arsenal fans yesterday had walked out of that ground at the end having lost 3 1, but they'd seen their players go for Eric Dyer when he celebrated in front of their fans, they'd, they'd fought like they had, they'd played like they had, they'd run like they had, I don't think you can have any complaints as a fan. Yeah. It's when you see the sort of, if you like, the lack of co- um, connectivity between what's happening on the terraces and what's happening in the, in, in, on the pitch. Mm. That's the real problem. Yesterday, it was a real connection. You know, the fans were up for it. It was Tottenham. The players were up for it. It was Tottenham. And that's what fans want to see. They yeah. want to see, basically, the players representing their shirts like they would. I always say football's like panto. It's like, it's like pantomime. You, sort of, you know there's going to be give and take. You know it's yeah. a bit ridiculous sometimes at times. But we all buy into it. As yeah. fans, as people that have played at you know, whatever level, Sunday League, whatever, you'll buy into it and you accept that's the way it is. It, 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 to be fair, it's one of the... Yes, what actually can... I saw yesterday, I was honestly, the stadium was shaking when the Arsenal third goal went in, and I mean shaking. Was I was on the commentary well. box and it was, you could feel it. And I looked behind me and you could see sort of, you know, 30, 40-year-old men and women screaming the veins... Appearing in the neck, and I sometimes think when there's all the negativity around football, like what other thing have people got in their lives that can give them that emotion? Mm. Very few things make you feel like that. Yeah. When your team scores the most incredible goal, or the, or that despair, that despair as well. On the other hand, yeah, when you see yeah. the Tottenham fans just despair, sat in the sat in the seats, walking out the stage. 
you know, that, that's we why you got. Despair, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> that's the match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think about the match. Yeah. The match is a journey from when you leave your home yeah. with your family, with your mates, whatever it might be, to go and watch a game, to have something to eat, have a pie, have a drink, have a chat about the game, what's going to happen today, the teams have come through, then you go and sort of experience the emotions of it, then you go after. It's a brilliant thing, that. Yeah. The match is a yeah. brilliant thing. And particularly when you see sort of Cardiff on Friday night, those Cardiff fans all jumping up and down after the game. The fans are on the pitch, so the players are on the pitch going over to them. It's a brilliant thing, actually. And we, it, it, yeah, those last two games I've done of just sometimes you need that reminder of you know you've been doing it for so long, and you go to games and sometimes they can just drift along, and then you see a couple of games and you think that's why we're all doing it. Yeah, the definitely. kids love it. Yeah. The families love it. It's, 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 it's a brilliant thing. Some of my best moments, memories are at, at games. The, yeah. the 2016 Cup final against United with my with my dad and my brother, and my best mates. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, can we move on to obviously post career? You went into into broadcasting. Yeah. Then you went in, into management at Valencia. Yeah. Um, what made you decide to do that then? Because you'd almost sort of set up this career as a broadcaster, and then yeah. this opportunity comes along. It. I turned down jobs in the Premier League and in the Championship, and I'd said to myself that I wasn't going to be a manager. I, you know, my broadcasting career was here. I had my Basically, when I finished my, my playing career, I said that I was going to follow three paths, broadcasting, the, the businesses that I'm part of, and uh, coaching. Um, coaching was through my coaching badges, businesses I'd already invested in, myself, my businesses, not no, investing in other people's business, my, my ideas, our ideas, and then the, uh, the broadcasting. Actually, I should have really never pursued the coaching because you have to immerse yourself in that mm -hmm. every second of every day. Yeah. But I thought, I'll do my coaching badges. I love football. And then Roy rang me up and said, you know, will you become part of my coaching staff? And because it enabled me to continue my broadcasting, my business career, I thought, actually, this fits. It's a part-time role, really, with England. Um, I had a four-year plan, four-year contract with England, four years with Sky, and um, my projects, obviously, you know, were moving along and I was six months away from the end of that contract and one of my business partners owns Valencia Football Club and said we'd like they were, they were, they were in a really bad season things had gone wrong he didn't want to bring a new manager in because he didn't want to have the upheaval of loads of players in and out and you know big changes mm. he said can you, can you just take it for me to the end of the season and it's the only thing that I've never planned and I said yes and I kick myself sometimes to this day, not for saying yes, I kick myself for that I spoke about it in the last six months or so, the, the mistakes that I made, they were stupid mistakes, you know, not taking over an experienced staff with me that spoke English and Spanish was a bad mistake, it was naive. Not then changing the squad slightly just to gain a little bit of authority and control. Because the idea of when players know you're in for five months, they think, ah, oh, well. Yeah, exactly. So there was that bit what of, I should have got, there was a couple of players who were there, I should have moved out of the club initially and got them out. And it would have established a bit of authority that, hang on a minute, he has got some power to do something here. Yeah. He, isn't just, he can come in for five months, but actually if we don't play ball, he can damage us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I never, I, 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 what I tried to do was pick up a rocky ship and just sort of, if you like, drift into shore rather than really grab the reins yeah. have people you have a strong you know you have a strong sort of leadership with me and also make sure that I you know got rid of what would be people who weren't on the who, who, who were making it choppy so I, I made some big mistakes the mistakes were all mine 
I don't buy like it was difficult. Like communicating was difficult. I, I couldn't communicate with the players. Mm. Uh, it was difficult. The club's difficult, but I, their excuses because I knew that I couldn't speak the language. I knew that the club was difficult. I knew the dressing room was divided. I knew it was a difficult time in the club. I knew it was a club that had sacked 15 managers in 13 years. Yeah. I knew that I was going to get criticised. I knew that I wasn't you know, immersed in the local culture. I knew, I knew all these things that people said, oh, it must have been tough. Well, yeah, but I knew that bit. Yeah. You know, I can't all of a sudden pretend that and, you know, I, I lack intelligence to be able to actually understand what I was stepping into. Yeah. But then to go in there... And think about, say, for instance, as a manager, Sir Alex Ferguson showed unbelievable loyalty in his 25 years at United to players, but he also made some real clinical decisions. Mm, yeah. And I forgot the clinical decision bit. I thought, actually, I can keep everybody together to the end of the season, navigate. But, you know, you need to make some... To be able to navigate sometimes through to the end of the season, you need to make some big decisions. Mm. I didn't make those big decisions, and I, I, I knew I should have done. Yeah. I knew I should have done it and I, I kicked myself for it so it was a mistake I think in, in hindsight taking the job because I wasn't prepared for it I think to be a manager you have to be immersed in it every minute of every day and I am clearly not mm. you know today I'm speaking to you managers are on the training pitch yeah, they're, exactly. they're planning the yeah, sessions yeah. they're planning the transfer window in January they're, every waking minute they're thinking about their job yeah. that's football management yeah. I was arrogant in some ways you could call it arrogance you could call it ignorance you could call it taking your eye off the ball actually I had turned down other jobs it was again doing things for probably the wrong reason I should have just said no Yeah. for actually my business partner it's not the right thing for you I'm not prepared for this I should yeah, have said to him yeah. I'm not prepared for this you need you need to go and get someone who can just got the experience to navigate to the end yeah. of the season not me I was in management terms naive but it's it's helped me a lot because I think, mm. to be fair, the clip round the ear, as my, as my dad would have said, yeah. not bad for you every so often. It was a clip round the ear for me. And um, you're talking now. You're you're, you're recognising all these mistakes you made. Oh, and absolutely. No, no, to be fair, I knew the mistakes. I was. I, I, knew, I almost knew when I was made. I was there. I was like, yeah. I almost knew instantly. And I thought, oh. and then when I when I when I when I when I left the club, that's why I was able. to you know, the, the compartmental. I, I, yeah. The, yeah. So when people mention Valencia to me now, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't impact me at all. I actually say, do you know something? It was the biggest learning I've ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned a lot at United for 20 years, but I learned an incredible amount at Valencia in four months about myself, yeah. about what decisions I should make in the future, about what things I should take on, about management decisions, leadership, you know, the idea of, you know, even in my broadcasting. So one of the weaknesses of my broadcasting is that I will never ask for a manager to be sacked, ever. It's a weakness, actually, yeah. because there are times when personally I think it, but I don't say it. Because why, I think, is, why is that? I think, yeah. I think it's crossing the line. I believe as a it's broadcaster. Cro- I believe it's crossing the line as my, almost as a football person. The idea of asking for another man to be removed from a job yeah. or another individual to be removed from the job, I just feel is something. Not, I don't feel right. I feel because I'm a football. I feel yeah. I'm a football man in the sense that you know you look after one another still. The idea that I sit here and say on television, Pep Guardiola should be sacked, Jurgen Klopp should be sacked, Jurgen Klopp, if he doesn't win a trophy this season, should, you know, Mauricio Pochettino, Jose Mourinho, it just feels a little bit like, I don't want I don't to go into that area. But also because you've been there yeah. as well, so you can relate to I, I never, I never, And I actually never did before I went to Valencia, to be fair. Yeah. I, so yeah. it was something, yeah, exactly. it was something yeah. that, it was a line that I said I'd never cross. But I do find myself sometimes compromised 
on television because I feel that you know I'm not being honest with myself and I'm not being honest and the viewers know it as well now they've got to the point where after six seven years I've said it on television I won't ask for a manager to be sacked I will never ask for a manager to be sacked I just feel it's wrong and I've, I just feel it's wrong I, yeah, I, I, yeah. something I feel really uncomfortable with even though there are times where I feel like actually a club would probably benefit from a change I don't believe I'm the person to call I'm not close enough to it yeah. I'm happy to say that they're having a difficult time I didn't think the tactics were right in that game they've made mistakes they've signed bad players I'm happy to say that the players themselves have had bad games I'm happy to say everything else I'm happy to have a go at owners where I believe that they've sacked managers unnecessarily but even now being an owner of Salford we've yeah. actually, yeah. Sacked, we've actually <laughs> yeah. sacked two managers in five years Yeah, yeah. Uh, four seen, and a half years you've so, seen that part yeah I've seen that yeah. part yeah. of it yeah. now so I'm sat here now totally conflicted in some ways I've been a, <laughs> yeah. I've been a player yeah I've been a manager, I've been an assistant manager, I'm now a club part owner, making decisions, and I've seen all sides of it, and I'm more rounded to understand the different mm. element, the different aspects of why you make decisions. Yeah. What role are we have? Basically, kit man is the only one you haven't done, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I might end up there if I carry on. <laughs> so I just, um, I made bad decisions really in Valencia, and um, don't blame anybody else for it other than myself. It was what, my fault. What happens when you're at a club where you can't communicate with the players? Who, what, who talks then? You talk about losing confidence, by the way. I actually lost confidence in the last four or five weeks in Valencia, but couldn't do anything about it in the sense that I knew I was struggling. Um, the results were bad. So me now doing this interview with you, I would stand up and do a 15-minute presentation to the players of a pre-match um, opposition yeah. that takes half an hour when someone's translating it mm. so everything was double mm. and there was one there was one day on the training pitch after about two and a half three months I stepped off the training pitch and didn't do any more coaching because I found myself during one session going on speaking to one player with my translator in tow which again never looks great mm. to football players mm. and I've been a player and if I was a player, I'd have been thinking, yeah, yeah. So going on speaking to one player about what I wanted him were from him, another player asked a question, so I then had to go over to them. The game was stopped for like three or four minutes whilst I was explaining, and it was being translated yeah. back and forward in question. And it actually, I remember think walking off thinking, I remember feeling really low, walking off to the side of the pitch and thinking, if I was a player, I'd have hated that. I'd have been thinking, I'd, I'd, I actually think I lost that day that day was the day where I think people thought this is not right mm. and I should have dealt with it differently from day one so if I'd have brought in an experienced dual language speaking coach from day one and staff they could have managed the sessions for me yeah. in my mindset yeah. and actually I could have learnt the language in that three or four month period and just had little bits after training you know in breaks in training I didn't need to go in there I should have I wanted to get on the training pitch I wanted to get my hands dirty I wanted to have an influence on the sessions I wanted to get that but actually, in the end, it was a, it was a, it was a de- it was a detriment. My, my pre-match um, meetings, which took twenty minutes, were taking 35, 40 minutes by the time the translator. And actually, the the, the translation isn't always perfect yeah. to what you want. Yeah, it isn't always perfect. And there were a couple of a couple of times where actually there was definitely that sort of misunderstanding between what I wanted and what was communicated. Because the lad that was trans- was translating for me was a brilliant lad. He was a, but he was a, he was actually thirty two year old Scottish. Video analyst, oh, right. so he wasn't experienced even. No, yeah, no. So he wasn't. He actually wasn't even. Uh, he wasn't Spanish speaking. By he, he spoke Spanish fluently, yeah. Yeah. but wasn't Spanish as in the understanding of sort of mm. the. So it was a real 
difficult situation. And I did lose my confidence in that last four or five weeks. Um, and it was the right thing I was sacked. Absolutely the right decision. Right decision, 100%. So the idea that I think, oh, you were hard done to. I w- Look, it was, a, it was a brutal situation to have to go into. Yeah. Um, some people say you didn't stand the chance from the beginning. I might not have done, but I know I could have done things differently. I could have made you know, decisions that were better. Uh, so I always look at what I could have done. Yeah. Um, but this idea that you know I'm compromised. What, what I don't understand is I went to Valencia in the eyes of some people as this great pundit. All of a sudden, you go to Valencia and you've managed, and you come back, and oh, how can you start, sit on television talk about yeah. people? Yeah. Well, hang on a minute. I'm actually more experienced than before I went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I was, a, I was a pundit that you liked before. Yeah. I'm actually now more experienced yeah. because actually I've actually sat in the hot seat. Yeah. I actually, to be fair, should be in effect a better pundit. Yeah. Well, also you've <laughs> been able to reflect on exactly. the place you've made. So, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You've become. And to understand what managers are going through well. in those moments. Yeah. One of the big things I found difficult. Do you know actually standing on the side of a pitch and being able to see a game? whilst those legs are, those 22 legs are running in front of you. Yeah. It's difficult. So sometimes, do you know when pundits and commentators are in that sort of elevated mm. position, they've got that helicopter view, yeah. they actually can see the game better than the manager on the touchline because they've got a better position, they've got a better actual... So, you, you know, sometimes you can... Act, I found that. So, you know, they, sometimes I think now we've got great camera views with Sky. We see every, every picture... Some, the reason I think managers now are taking on pundits more is because the pundits are getting closer to the truth of what managers should be doing. Yeah. And the managers actually, I found that in Valencia, that sometimes I would watch a game from that sort of what would be pitch side position. And after the game, I'd have journalists, pundits saying, why didn't you take him off? Why didn't you do this? Why? And I'd think, you cheeky sod. And then yeah, I'd watch yeah, the yeah. game back from the sort of what would be the helicopter view yeah. camera and think, actually, they were right. Yeah. And actually, I, that, I know that's happening now. If it's on Monday Night Football, when we see things... Manager can't see all that on the touchline. It's actually very difficult to see the game from actually pitching. You, know you know when managers get sent to the stands? Yeah. And they sometimes, and they got the little earpieces. Yeah, yeah. They're seeing the game from a It's probably few. better. Well, the rugby coaches watch from yeah. the, the rugby coaches watch from this position, don't they? Yeah. And if you think about the fans, the cheapest tickets are at the front. Yeah. The best tickets yeah, yeah. are in the middle. Yeah. He's got the best view. Exactly. So you think... Director's so, so, box. Like director's box, box. Yeah. So I know that I'm watching a game, Cardiff v Wolves. I've got a better view than Neil Warnock. Yeah. yeah. And you know, yesterday I had a better view than Unai Emery yeah. and Maurizio Pochettino. Do you think managers will end up, like dugouts will end up sort of moving... So Alex did. So yeah. Alex watched, yeah. used to watch oh, the first yeah. half up in the stand well, so Michael he could see the game. As well, didn't he? In recent I don't know, yeah. With Leicester, Nigel Pearson, didn't he do that quite a lot? He would sit yeah. in the stands and do so, that. Especially particularly in the first half, he would do that. But then you're seeing, uh, you're then seen as a coach who isn't connecting with the players. He doesn't care. He's not passionate. Yeah. He's not shouting at them. You're not shouting at them. <laughs> yeah. So these, it's a real difficult one. But yeah. that's one of the things I that's found from my management experience and mm. being coached with England. Actually yeah. being at that sort of pitch level, yeah. you can't see the game from no. a tactical perspective. So actually when managers sometimes look like they've waited too long to make a substitution, it's because they haven't sometimes seen it as quickly as people in the... Sta- you know, in yeah. the in the commentary box or in the in the director's box have seen it. That's interesting. Um, so I just want to move on to the broadcasting bit quickly before we end. But obviously you had Phil with you in, in Valencia. Yeah. There's a rumour that he didn't make a cup of tea until he was 37 years old. <laughs> Is that true? I haven't got a clue, to be honest with you. Um, he certainly That's made an impressive a, record. He certainly <laughs> hasn't made a cup of tea for me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, footballers don't tend to drink tea. 
Really? Not really. No, you're in sports that's drinks. That's like 1970s, I think, you had a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, we've only become obsessed with coffee and stuff in the last five years, haven't we? I mean, the idea yeah. of a coffee shop <laughs> ten years ago, yeah. you know, you didn't really have coffee. Yeah, of course you did have coffee shops, but now, yeah. I reckon, I've just walked, I mean, you, you go through London, I reckon there must be a coffee shop every three shops. Mm. You know, Pret-a-Manger, Custard yeah. Coffee, yeah, Starbucks. Yeah. There must be 10,000 in London then. Yeah. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah. And now people are working out of there. They're living yeah. in yeah, there. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. That, yeah, so they work out of coffee shops. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, tea, right. tea and coffee. <laughs> tea and coffee have really become, I mean, tea's always been obviously something, that, but it has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, on, on to the broadcasting. And obviously this pod is about blank moments and you've, you've been very candid and shared some with us already. When you've been on set and when you've been broadcasting, has there been any moments where you've gone blank or anything's happened and you've had to think on your feet? Well, or Yeah, as well, especially saying, seeing as you said earlier that you don't really have scripts or anything. No. Um, well, that was one thing about Sky, which I'm thankful for. So they don't give you the questions before you go on air. Okay. Um, Monday night's slightly different that first hour because we have to prepare it mm. so we have a little we obviously have an idea of what's coming there because we create the content for it but the questions off the back of it are not rehearsed in the sense that we try not to rehearse it particularly when you become more experienced um, the idea that everything's you know you have that element of spontaneity to it mm. and you have that element of reaction and I think that's the one thing I do think about Sky they do allow um, they do change the set they do change the uh, running order if something's strong They'll let things run. Yeah, they have the ability to really adapt during the show. So if something's really powerful and there's a good debate going on on Monday Night Football, comes out of the blue, which happens often, we will just throw stuff in the bin that we were going to do. Yeah, um, and we do that on Super Sundays is exactly the same. Blank moments, um, not really. Do you know the blank? Do you know the, the, the big? The, I say the worst game, the worst. Like, I tell you what was really bad. The end of last season was bad. So I had, I think, about six Manchester City games after they won the league. <laughs> yeah. And you were turning up in what would be meaningless games, effectively. Yeah, yeah. sure, yeah. Games that they might be 4 0 up in. Yeah. And then you've got half an hour to go in a game and you are literally treading water. You do not know. There's nothing to say. Yeah. Mm. So actually, when there's things happening and when there's the incident or when there's goals or even nil-nil sometimes... Mm. There's things to talk about. It's when you have meaningless games that really become difficult. And last season towards the end, because City won the league so early, yeah, yeah. it just became, I think even the top four was fixed yeah. with two weeks to go. Yeah. Um, it was just, it became a bit of a sort of a, a dead end to the season, a dull mm. end to the season. That's the biggest problem in broadcasting is when nothing, when, when, you, when yeah. you've got meaningless games. Like, now it's fine, you know. Yeah. You, you know, it's always something to talk about. But blank moments—the biggest difficulty was definitely in the early days of Monday Night Football. If you're able to get some footage of me in that first couple of Monday Night Footballs, not knowing what to do with my hands, <laughs> yeah. hands were everywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. speaking 100 miles an hour, yeah. not able to be able to react to something that went wrong. So, if, for instance, I didn't sort of quite draw the right thing on, because mm. this idea that you've got someone in your ear. From a producing point of view, you've got the presenter who was Ed at the time asking me the question, and then you've got to answer whilst drawing. That was like three things in one, yeah, yeah. and that became that was tough for me to begin with. It took me six, seven, eight months to really get into it, and then I'm comfortable now. Now, 
if I make a mistake, I've got the ability to say, let me just take that back, no problems. Yeah. In fact, yeah. at home, it adds something. What they, what they got me to understand was, a mistake is good, because it shows it's live television. Yeah. Yeah. Think of a mistake yeah, as being yeah. good. Think of actually something that's not perfect, getting a na- player's name wrong. Get, don't think of that as being a pressure. Think of that as being a positive. Yeah. We're doing live television. So Sky do demand the idea that everything's live, 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 and spontaneous and react. And we want your reaction. We want your emotional reaction. Your passion. We don't want it to be too. We want it to be scripted. Mm. Scripted punditry doesn't work. And I can see all over the place. I know when people have got the lines already ready, the stat packs already read. Yeah, we get these stat yeah. packs, and people are reading the stat pack out, and you think, "Oh God, go on. I, go, I want to feel something from your heart." I don't. Yeah, want to. Yeah, and absolutely. so punditry for me should be an emotional thing. It should be a reactive thing. Yeah. And Sky have built. I have to be say I'm very lucky to have come through six years ago at Sky when the producer director were fantastic Monday Night Football mm. Super Sundays everything was sort of and they demand a lot from you, they demand, you know, in terms of you know, the, the standard of performance don't you know everything's got to be live they're serious about producing football I know it might not be everybody's cup of tea all the time but they are really serious about producing mm. the best shows possible yeah I'm just yeah. finding then because it's quarter to one so I know you've got okay. your girl. Um, we, we always end every pod by asking our guests for their advice on blank moments to anyone be it a footballer you know uh, someone creative whatever what, what would your advice be to anyone listening on a blank moment or any yeah any tough moments I guess when things are yeah when things aren't going when things well. aren't going well the, on things aren't going well ask yourself the question did you think that every single thing was going to go well during your life if you answer that question honestly, it'll always be no. So when a bad moment comes or a difficult moment comes, you're able to be able to accept it. That that was the one thing that that period of six months, did you honestly believe that you're going to play well every match, that you weren't mm. going to give a goal away, that you weren't going to get criticised? Did you think that you were always going to have been in a relationship and it was never, it was always going to be plain sailing? Did you think you were never going to get dropped from a football team or have an injury? All the things that are bumps in the road, as I would call them, obstacles, actually imagine, if you're honest with yourself, you actually are going to hit those. Yeah. Are varying degrees, and some of them are difficult to come over. You think of some of the some individual moments that happen in people's lives, and it's heartbreaking. But actually, then, if you're able to accept that it could have happened, and it can happen to anybody, and perspective, the idea of looking at someone else and thinking, well, it's happened to them, and look at what they're doing. And yeah, there's always someone to be inspired by. Yeah, and I think that to me always helps me. The idea that you know the the, the worst thing that's ever happened to me was my, my dad dying three and a half years ago and um, he um, believe it or not went oh, my sister had just been appointed the manager of England netball mum and dad travelled over to Australia as they always would to watch my sister play mm. to watch us play travelled over to Australia to watch her play and the second day that he was there he collapsed in the hotel room and that was it and so we me and my brother flew over and as we flew over I mean, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, you've, you, you're, you're idol, you're hero in some ways, the yeah. person you've always looked up to. Um, but I, I carried on as normal because do you know something. My dad had an unbelievable life. He drank too much. He ate too much. He'd had some heart problems. It wasn't a shock that that actually ended this way to me or anybody that knew him. Mm. It wasn't because actually he always stayed up too late, he always drank a bit too much, he always ate too much, you know, he had, he'd had had problems, you know, he lived till he was 65, when people say, oh, it's no age, well, it was for my dad, in some mm. ways, because, the, you know, the life that he'd had, 
that that was probably always going to happen. You know, yet, you know, when I was growing up, my dad, had, you know, the idea of English breakfast with black pudding with fried yeah, bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah, dad yeah. was into that, you know what I mean? Yeah, my dad the was chip exactly it. the same. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So when, long life, <laughs> but then, no, and, yeah. and so when they actually, you know, when I think mm. when they when when he died in that way, I was able to be, I was devastated, but then I was able to also have a business meeting on the day of his funeral in the morning. Because I knew that actually my life had to go on. I knew that I actually could compartmentalize it. Mm. And then sometimes people say a year or so later, you know, you know, this idea that, um, you know, you've not grieved yet or you've not. I think I have, because I remember being in that dressing room at Valencia, the coach's room, the little coach's room before a match and thinking, I wish he was in the stand today to give me that comfort. Yeah. I was missing him, mm. and I would never. I've never. That's the first time I've ever admitted that. I would think of him. Yeah. So in deep, you know, in some moments, sometimes I'll drive past the cemetery and I'll just go and sit there for half an hour. Mm. No one knows. So I am in some ways, but actually, I can always compartmentalize and think. Right, okay, mm. I've got a choice now. Yeah. I can either feel like this for the rest of the day, or I can think actually, no, what choice? I can move on with it. So these blank moments, these difficult moments, that's the biggest disappointment I've had. De- you know, devastating moment. Mm. Travelled over to Australia. Obviously, you know, I had to then bring him back and everything like that, and, and and it was a difficult moment. But then I think to myself, I spent forty years of my life with my dad. Mm. Some yeah. kids don't get to spend time with their dad at all, or their mum. And I just think you can always put it into perspective yeah, yeah, by just reflecting yeah. on how lucky you've been and what you've got. And yeah. and, and and I think that's a quite a, a, so when you have bad moments or blank moments or difficult moments. There's always perspective yeah. and there is always potentially the idea that did you think it was always going to go well? It probably wasn't. Something like this was always going to happen. Yeah. You know, our parents will unfortunately always, you know, die at some point. My grandparents lived till I was 30. All my four grandparents and they wow. all died within four or five years. Wow. And again, I felt with that, you know, upset because I was close to them. But then again, I was able to say some people never meet any of the grandparents some people don't have that relationship with them Mm. some people weren't brought up by their mum and dads and both sets of grandparents the idea so I I was always able to I feel like I'm able to cope I've not I've not had anything in my life yet that's happened to me where I've thought actually I can't compartmentalise that and think and look at other people or other and think actually I'm very lucky that that compartmentalising is is very powerful isn't it It, do you think that moment that six month moment where you've We've really yeah. through it a lot today. It has made such a massive impact yeah. on your life. It, it, it did those sessions yeah. and that, a, that ability to be able to actually compartmentalise yeah, yeah. issues. Sometimes like it's praise as well. Yeah, Someone yeah. tells you you're brilliant, you look great. Yeah. You've got yeah. to be able to dismiss that really because yeah. it's not going to help you get on with your day. You know, some of the guy telling me today that I was a great right back or that, you know, he, th- he thinks it's not going to help me t- tomorrow when I'm going into my punditry. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to help me be a better pundit, that. It's not going to help me be a better do a better podcast it's not gonna, actually in some ways it's quite it's, it's a relevant noise it's yeah. nice yeah. Yeah. but it's nice to be able to you know have a yeah. conversation but then say actually no actually it's not helpful to me that but mm. it's going to you know if I let that go to my head it's going to have a bad impact if I actually you know it, so I think it has that six months that ability to be able to mm. resist the what I call irrelevant noise yeah. that there's so much out there yeah is is a good thing, and it was to be fair. It was it, it was noisy at the time around me and my brother, around those Euros mm. and around yeah. that uh, Vasco da Gama. It was noisy, yeah. but more noisy for other people. You know, yeah. the worst thing sometimes actually is the people that 
um, you don't know that they're suffering and they're in silence. You know, I was able to go and share those thoughts with someone and yeah. actually, that, that's that's the bigger problem. And that young player coming to you at England as well, yeah. that, that's that, a big step. That is a, that is a, that to me is one of the, where are young people going for help? Yeah. And who's guiding them back on the path? Yeah. Who's putting them straight? I was put straight. Yeah. I was put, you know, I was veering off a path. I was, you know, thinking, I was distracted. I was, couldn't get my thoughts straight. I was spinning on a roundabout as I like to. Spinning yeah. on a roundabout, not in which direction to yeah, go yeah. next. For six months as a football player, but I was able to get back off it and jump off it and go back on the path again. But that's just my situation. How, who's putting everybody else straight and who's, mm, yeah. it's uh, difficult sometimes. Yeah. Um, it is difficult. Anyway. Good yeah. stuff. Well, Gary, Gary well done. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank so you. Much. Thank you. Really Excellent. Real pleasure to talk to you. Well done. Thanks. pod brilliant podcast um yeah i mean i'm still in a bit of um yeah a bit not shocked but i just you know i think because gary was so honest with us and it was just it just felt really great that he felt comfortable to do that with us and you know he was able to go to places on the on the show that you know we weren't expecting him to go. yeah he's a very honest guy and he he, he, you know he says that a lot about his punditry but he was also about his personal life and in the stuff about um uh, the six months after Euro 2000 yeah. when he and his brother Phil were struggling and mm-hmm. I remember that as a fan and people mm. doing those kind of jokey chants about them yeah, uh, and, and I you think forget I it, how much it affects people yeah of course and I don't think I did I think I, at the time I thought it was a bit un, unfair and unjustified but yeah people. But you think yeah. at the time you think oh they're footballers and they'll get through yeah, this but well, actually yeah. they're people they are people yeah exactly yeah and then, and obviously he talked about his time in Valencia which was a very difficult part of his career yeah Um, and I thought he was very self-effacing about that you know very honest and knew uh, was able to look at the things that he, he got wrong there and was able to be honest about it yeah and actually that, that's the kind of thing I took away from the pod mm. is that you can admit when you've made mistakes but if you're looking back and thinking well I'm going to learn from that well then you progress as a person and, and that's yeah. really hard that takes a lot of courage mm. to do that and I'm sure we can all relate to that yeah um, so yeah it was it was a fascinating pod Brilliant uh, pod, and yeah. thank you to Gary for coming on what, yeah, a, what yeah, a legend re- yeah no really grateful for Gary and it was like I say it was a real I, I, and I say this every week, and I we're repeating ourselves a lot, but it's a real privilege to sit down with these people. Um, they give up their time for us. And um, so a big thank you to them and for being being honest and making... I mean, they they make this podcast. It's not, you know, Absolutely. It's not about us, it's about them. So Yeah. Thank you very much to Gary. Um, so if you are a fan of the podcast, you want to get in contact with us, let us know what you thought about uh, Gary's pod. Uh, you can contact us on all the socials. or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And the handle is all the same for all three. It's... At blank pod, <laughs> correct. And you raised your eyebrows as you did it. It was really, it was really it was nice. A, it was a yeah, nice moment. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. We shared a connection. Yeah. We looked into each other's eyes. Yeah, we connected. Yeah. Anyway, um, you can also <laughs> email us if you want to send us a bit longer than two hundred forty <laughs> characters. The email address is uh, hello at theblankpodcast.com. It is indeed, and and we love all our tweets and and Facebook messages and Instagram. We're going to yeah. start sharing them soon because there's been some fantastic messages from everybody. Very positive. Yeah. Everyone's been really lovely about the show, and we're just super grateful that you're listening. Um, yeah, we so really keep, are. Please keep subscribing. Keep 
rating us and sharing and telling us about what you think of the show and any guests you would like to see coming on. Yeah, we've been rising up through the, the iTunes ranks, which has been amazing to see. And we're, we're in with some very big podcasts yeah, in so those categories. Been, yeah, we so feel very honoured. But yeah. we'll only get higher up if you guys can hit that subscribe button yeah. and help us climb the charts. We'd yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah. It means we can keep doing this. So. Exactly. Uh, so that's it. Thanks very much for listening to this week's Plank Podcast. Next week, there'll be another celebrity talking about their blank moments uh, so keep an eye out for that wherever you get your pods and in the meantime have a wonderful week and we'll see you again soon goodbye Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.